Welcome to the podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Area Church at First Parish in Sherborne. No matter who you are, who you love, we welcome you into our community of religious seekers. Please join us for our Sunday worship services each week at 10.30 a.m. More information can be found on our website at uuac.org or visit our Facebook page at Sherborne Unitarian Universalist. Enjoy the sermon. I invite Judd Wiskell up for a testimonial. Welcome, Judd. So I have to go to the hospital, and I don't know quite where I'm going. So I go in the front door, and I look for the information booth, and it's a lobby. And there's an information booth right in the middle, and there are a lot of people up front. Um, there's a long line. So what do I do? I do what everybody does. I'm, I'm looking at my phone, and I'm just barely noticing the rhythm of people going up, getting information, going about their business, going where they need to go. But all of a sudden, the person behind the desk um, who has black hair and, and may or may not have been a person of color, we'll call her Janice or Lucia. I don't know what her name was, but her voice changes. And all of a sudden, she's asking someone whether they have an appointment. She says, Are you, do you have an appointment? We well, have to have an appointment. And it makes me look up, and I notice that at this point, the woman behind the desk, Janice or Lucia, is talking to an African-American woman, probably younger than me, and that woman is just wanting to know where her doctor is. And she doesn't have an appointment, so she has to kind of argue just to figure out the basic information of where her doctor is. And eventually, she gets that information, and she walks upstairs to, to where her doctor is, and she's frustrated. She's visibly upset. And I realize, not long after, I realized that I could have done something. You know, I cho chose the kind of normal way to respond to that situation in my white middle-class upbringing, which would be not responding to it at all. Minding my own business, you know, keeping out of it, keeping the peace even though the peace I was keeping, the peace I was allowing to, to hold, hold place there was not a just peace, right? I did the polite thing. I did the quiet thing. And what I could have done, given that I've got privilege, given that I'm a, an able-bodied white cisgender male, is I could have gone up and said, hey, could you give this person the information they need? I could have asked for a manager, because when people who look like I do ask for a manager, they often get response, right? I could have provided some help there. And so I, I want to be accountable. I want people to tell me if I make that kind of mistake, right? And I want to have it in my mind not to make that kind of mistake, but to show up, to show up for people. And so what I see in our eighth principle is an opportunity to be accountable, an opportunity that tells us that um, we're on a journey together towards spiritual wholeness, and we want to fight oppression, and we want to demonstrate that fight. We want to be on a journey together where we call each other to account, 
and where we think about how we do things as a community. And this will help. This will give us a text that says, hey, you know what? We need to be doing that. We need to be reminded of that so that we can call each other to account. Because we live in white supremacy, right? This is the culture we live in. And if we don't do anything, then we're trying to stay neutral on a moving train, right? So what I ask is that we, we vote for this principle because it's going to help us be accountable and move together toward beloved community. Thank you. So this morning I am going to share the third sermon in our Eighth Principle Sermon Series. And as you know, our congregation is considering adopting an Eighth Principle, in addition to the seven principles of Unitarian Universalism. And these seven principles were adopted by the Unitarian Universalist Association in 1984. And if you're curious about what the seven principles are that we're considering adding to, you can find them in the front of your gray hymnals, which are in your pews, or if you're at home, through a quick Google search. And our denomination, the Unitarian Universalist Association, or the UUA, which is made up of all of the Unitarian Universalist churches across the country, about 1,000 Unitarian Universalist churches, our denomination is considering adopting this eighth principle nationally. But the process of considering it and changing the bylaws of our association, which is what it would require, is a necessarily much longer process than the process for an individual church to change their bylaws or to adopt the principle themselves, which is why many churches are considering it, including us. And many churches are considering doing this uh, across the country, adopting the Eighth Principle for themselves as we work on it nationally. And at this point, 153 churches across the country have adopted the Eighth Principle. And as a church community, we are talking about this because we want to adopt it as a whole community. And this is a shift from individual commitments to anti-racism and anti-oppression work that is contained within the Eighth Principle to, the collect, to a collective commitment to this work. We are asking, as a community, do we commit to this work? Do we believe collectively that our Unitarian Universalist faith calls us to this work? Today I want to share with you two important pieces of context, two stories from our Unitarian Universalist history that are extremely important context for the Eighth Principle in Unitarian Universalism. So our first story begins in the late 1960s, and it is referred to commonly as the black empowerment controversy. In this context, it was the height of the civil rights era. Unitarian Universalists had been proudly involved in the March on Washington, Selma in passing the Voting Rights Act. King was assassinated in the midst of this story. And the story begins in October of 1967. There was an emergency conference on the Unitarian Universalist response to the Black Rebellion. That's what they called it. And this was in reaction to increased riots in cities across America. Soon into the planned conference agenda, the majority of African American attendees withdrew from the agenda to form the Black Unitarian Universalist Conference, often referred to as BUC. And to understand the context of this move, we need to understand that in civil rights work and in anti-racism work, both then and now, there's often a tension about the importance of integration and multiracial organizing and the importance of identity-based caucusing. 
Buck was firmly an identity-based group of Unitarian Universalists who were bl of Black Unitarian Universalists who were seeking empowerment and self-determination in our overwhelmingly white denomination. Coming out of that meeting, October 1967, Buck had several proposals, including a call for black representation on the Board of Trustees, the UUA Board of Trustees, the Executive Committee, and the Finance Committee, subsidies for black ministers, and the creation of a UUA-affiliated Black Affairs Council, which would be funded by the UUA at $250,000 per year for four years. They brought this back to the conference, and the entire conference endorsed these proposals. However, when the proposals were brought to the UUA board, the board rejected them. So organizers worked for the next several months to get a resolution to fund the Black Affairs Council on the agenda of our denomination's annual national conference. It's called General Assembly, and it happens each year in June. So at the 1968 General Assembly, just a few short months after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, setting the tone considerably for the meeting, the delegates at a meeting voted, voted to fund the Black Affairs Council by a vote of 836 to 326, approving for a million dollars, one million dollars over four years. However, soon after General Assembly that year, it became clear that the denomination's finances were in dire straits. In response, the UUA board reintroduced the issue of funding the Black Affairs Council at the following General Assembly in 1969, newly requiring a yearly reaffirmation of the previous four-year commitment. At General Assembly in 1969 in Boston, the funding question was placed near the very end of the meeting, where the energy would be low. Members and supporters of the Black Affairs Council made a motion that the vote of the funding be moved toward the beginning of the agenda to reflect the urgency of the issue. However, they did not receive the two-thirds majority needed to change the official agenda, and a motion was made the following day to reconsider the funding issue sooner. A motion which, the funding issue, which we need to remember, was never supposed to be revisited. It had already been approved. It was never supposed to be revisited in the first place. And when that second motion to move it earlier on the agenda failed, the Black Unitarian Universalist Caucus members silently walked out of General Assembly. Several hundred white delegates also left General Assembly in solidarity and support. The funding was recommitted to later in the agenda, but, and, and it was later reduced by the UUA board to address the budgetary constraints. But the damage had already been done. This moment, referred to as the Black Empowerment Controversy, or sometimes the 1969 walkout, was and still is a source of great pain for many in our Unitarian Universalist history. Some estimates believe that we lost about 1,500 active Black Unitarian Universalists in this denomination, who left the denomination after what they fairly experienced as a betrayal and a broken promise for material and financial support. Now before I tell this next story, I want to name that despite these moments of pain and falling short about, around racial justice, Unitarian Universalism is also the place where I personally came to understand anti-racism work as a deeply spiritual calling. 
Growing up in our Unitarian Universalist faith shaped my political and my social justice viewpoints more than any other factor in my life. The first time I heard about anti-racism work and was introduced to it myself was in General Assembly in 2003, the same meeting, when I was 14 years old. And from there, I have been formed and shaped and challenged and nurtured by this faith around addressing topics of power and privilege and white supremacy. Unitarian Universalists have long been leaders for justice in many areas, and I am quite proud to be a part of this denomination. Recently, I was reading some information on the Eighth Principle, and they addressed the question of why the Eighth Principle specifically names racism. And I've heard several of you ask this question as well. I've shared my perspective on it at times, saying that I think racism, and particularly anti-black racism, has a particularly horrific history in this country, whose very economy and infrastructure, whether or not we are in slave-owning, former slave-owning states, was built on a system of chattel slavery. But my reading on the Eighth Principle has reminded me that Unitarian Universalism has made truly remarkable progress around the inclusion of women and LGBTQ plus people in our congregations, in our ministry, and in our leadership. Many UU congregations have done incredible work to make their spaces more accessible to people with disabilities. But in contrast, the inclusion of people of color in our congregations, ministry, and leadership has been starkly lagging. And this brings us to our second story, the hiring crisis. The year was 2017. This was just five years ago. Nathan and I were both your ministers at UUAC. The Black Lives Matter movement was just a few years old. This was the year that our congregation put up the Black Lives Matter flag out front. And that spring, a crisis was unfolding once again at the denominational level. Our Unitarian Universalist Association is split into five regions. And they have st we have staff who support congregations in each region. At that time, the southern region was hiring for a new regional lead, a high-level executive position. Reverend Andy Burnett, a white man and an ordained minister, was announced as the person hired as the, new, as the southern regional lead. While Christina Rivera, a Chicana Latina woman who is a longtime religious educator and director of finance and administration in one of our lar larger congregations, was told that she was not the right fit for the team. As this news spread, critics pointed out that all of the regional leads across the country were white ministers. Other of people of color who were passed over for positions within our denomination began to tell their stories via social media and other channels. And in a letter to the UUA board, signed by over 120 ministers and other religious professionals, they said, the practice of hiring white people nearly to the exclusion of hiring people of color is alarming and not indicative of the communal practice to which our faith calls us. As Christina Rivera explained, again, the religious professional who was told that she was not the right fit, she said, when you're a person of color and you hear the word fit, that is a huge red flag. It's coded language that signals that unless you look like the person doing the hiring, no matter how qualified you are, you will not be selected for that position, no matter what it is. Other accounts of structural racism and white supremacy within our denomination began to be named publicly. 
in addition to the hiring controversy. And that spring, three people in high-level UUA leadership resigned over the controversy, including the UUA president, Peter Morales, and the UUA's director of congregational life, Scott Taylor, who had done the initial hiring that led to the controversy. And in response to all of this, the UUA board pulled together a team that was commissioned to analyze structural racism within Unitarian Universalism. It was called the Commission on Institutional Change, and the commission studies, studied and researched this for two years, working with the UUA to understand what happened, interviewing religious professionals and lay leaders of color, and doing what they called a racism audit on our denomination. And the resulting report on their findings, which was called Widening the Circle of Concern, has been a guiding uh, piece of work for much of the work of our eighth principal task force this year. I highly recommend it if, if you'd like to take a look at it. And I will say that both of these stories have far more intricacies and nuance than I've been able to lay out here. And if you are interested in learning more about either of these pieces of our Unitarian Universalist history, I or the Eighth Principal team would be happy to share more information or point, point you toward, toward more resources. And both these stories, the 1969 black empowerment controversy and the 2017 hiring crisis are reminders that white supremacy exists not only in the world at large, but also in our faith, in our churches, in our communities. Not because we mean harm or because we are bad people, but just because it is the water that we swim in. And this is part of why the Unitarian Universalist Association and our congregation is considering adopting the eighth principle. And let me read it to us again. Can we put it up on the screen? We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and in our institutions. I love what Molly shared with us in her testimonial last week when she reminded us to pay more attention to the verbs than the nouns in this principle, the verbs that call us to action. Echoing Molly, I'll say, I don't know what spiritual wholeness feels like. Because as a white person in the context of white supremacy, I feel like my spiritual wholeness has been limited by knowing that my whiteness keeps me from full and deep relationships with people of color. And knowing that white supremacy harms me too, I don't know what spiritual wholeness it feels like, but I do know what it means to go on a journey and to do it in community. And I don't know exactly what multicultural beloved community is because I feel like I have only ever seen glimpses of it because the re realities of racism and oppression keep me from this too. But I do know what working feels like and I do know what building feels like and I do know what longing feels like longing for a better world and working and building together. And I don't know exactly what a world without oppressions would look like because I have never lived in that world. But I do know what dreaming and also dismantling feel like. Taking things apart, going back to the roots, imagining a better alternative, dismantling so that we can build back something more beautiful and more whole. Adopting this principle is a commitment that as a community, we will keep journeying, building, 
working, longing, dreaming, and dismantling. The vote is not the work. The vote is our collective commitment to the work. Last Sunday, when we were talking about the eighth principle in our coming-of-age class, I asked them to do an exercise with me that I learned from Pippi Kessler, a brilliant mentor in, work, in doing anti-oppression work with young people. And I asked the group to list out all of the ways that the systems we live in are broken. And we didn't stop listing them until we had filled up a whole chart paper with a list of broken systems. Friends, it was depressing. And then I flipped the page and I wrote, another world is possible. And the energy shifted as we filled up a second page with all of the things that we dream about that could be in this beautiful, more healed, more whole world. Because as much as we can be in touch with the pain of the world is as much as we can be in touch with our hope for a better world. I believe that our pain and our hope come from the same place within us. And friends, there is nothing more than church, than Unitarian Universalism, that has helped me to stay in touch with both my pain and my hope. I believe that our work as people of faith is to live with, in, with one foot in the world as it is and one foot in the world as it might be. I believe that religion and faith is the bridge between both of these worlds. And even though, as I shared in our stories today, even though our faith is not perfect and our human institutions fall short of our ideals, we can imagine another world, a better world. And I believe that our faith and our church is a place to practice being the kind of community we want to be, to begin to build beloved community here together. To adopt the eighth principle is to say, firmly and clearly that we believe, as Unitarian Universalists, that we are called to work to build that better world that we imagine. We are called to make amends for the ways that the systems that we live in and benefit from and participate in have caused harm to people with marginalized identities. And I believe that together we can be builders, we can be dreamers, we can be dismantlers, we can be repairers as we take this journey together. May it be so, and amen. I invite you to rise in body or spirit for our closing hymn, Building a New Way. Please hum along.
Please join in our call to ministry. We go forth into the world in peace to act with works of love, to affirm each person's dignity, and to cherish the living earth. Poet Arundhati Roy writes, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. Friends, may we listen closely for the world that is on its way. May we usher it into being. May we be builders, dreamers, dismantlers, repairers on this journey together. May it be so, and amen. Please vote for your paint colors, and we will have a good afternoon. <laughs>